Yeah! That's how you do it right there. I just won over half of the first-time guest guys. They're like, this is now my church right there. Man, welcome to Momentum. I'm so glad that you guys are here. We are so glad that you guys are here. And uh, I'm just thankful um, for my church. I love my church, and I'm thankful I can do crazy stuff like ride a motorcycle into church. Isn't that pretty cool? That's, that's pretty awesome. My dad was a pastor, and we grew up, and we had, man, you, you had to wear like the tie and the three-piece suit to go to church, and that was like on Wednesday night. That was on like Wednesday night. It wasn't even Sunday morning, right? So for the ones out there that you're like, what in the world was all that? I was tracking with a video. I was feeling really close to Jesus. And then he, and some of y'all are the opposite. You're like, I'm feeling really close to Jesus with a motorcycle in here. I want to tell you something. This is my motorcycle. I bought this thing uh, 2001 and I'll never forget it was love at first sight. I was driving in Pensacola. I was driving on Navy Boulevard, and I passed a little motorcycle shop. It's still there. And I saw this motorcycle. And when I saw it, I just had faith enough to believe that was going to be my bike. I was like, yeah, man, that is awesome. I saw it. I did the U-turn. I turned around. I went in there. And come to find out, it was a used bike. It had less than 1,000 miles on it. A Navy pilot had bought it to learn how to ride a motorcycle. And after about literally just a few months, it wasn't, wasn't big enough. It wasn't fast enough for him. So he upgraded from the 6 and got the 900. And, uh, and so they didn't sell used, bike, but, used bikes. But because they had just sold this one to him brand new, they turned around and said, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead. We'll do a little exchange. We don't do that, but we'll do it for you. You're a pilot. Yay, pilots. Yeah, we'll do it. And they hooked him up, which was great because, you know, um, depreciation. So that was cool. I got a new used bike. Man, I want to tell you something. I put a lot of miles on this bike, and I love it. I've done, uh, had some incredible trips on this bike. I, I'll never forget the first time my uncle from South Florida, he was like, man, why don't we meet? He lived in Miami, and uh, I lived here in Pensacola, and so we met in the middle. And we met, and then I turned around and drove right back, and I remember getting off. That was my first long trip. I remember getting off my motorcycle after that long trip, you know, and I was just kind of stuck in this mode. I love it. Now, one day, I'm believing God for a Harley Davidson. One day, Harley Davidson. Anyone out there got a Harley Davidson? Anybody? Please, does somebody love Jesus in this place? He got a Harley back there. I see you, sir. All right, I'm going to tell, tell a funny story. Before I get there, when I saw this bike, I went, my wife, she loves Jesus, man. She's awesome. This is my wife, Stephanie. She's awesome. You know, she was with ninth grade girls. If I'm not mistaken, she was doing, we had like a weekend where teenagers spent the night in homes. And so she was suffering for Jesus out by a pool with some ninth grade girls. They were laying out, swimming, having fun. And so I'm tracking her down. Now, this is pre-cell phones, at least for me it was. This is when you had the beeper. And if you were really important, you had two. You remember that? Some of these teenagers, you're like, oh, she's so old. Yes, I am. I am. But I, I couldn't just call her on a cell phone. So I had to drive to where she was. And I get there, and I remember, man, I had seen the bike. I had fallen in love with the bike. It's Tennessee Orange, just in case you didn't know. I'm from Tennessee. I was like, that's got to be a sign. The Lord works in mysterious ways. And so I'm doing everything I can to convince her. I'm trying to convince her, man, telling her, um, 
about this motorcycle. And I asked her, right? Because if you're a couple, if you're married, you probably ought to, you know, check with a spouse before you make a big purchase, right? Anybody out there agreeing? Anyone out there wish your, your spouse agreed? <laughs> okay. So anyways, so I run it by her and, um, and, and she knew I was going to get it anyway. So she said, yes, no, no, she was gracious enough. She was like, go get it. And I, man, I was so fired up. So I go back to the store. I go back, man. I'm like signing the paper. She came in. She signed. We put some money down. This is my new motorcycle. And here's the truth. It had been a couple years. Now, motorcycles run in our family, but it had been a couple years since I had driven a motorcycle on the road. Legally. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It had been a while since I had driven a bike on the road. And, and be honest with you, um, be very honest with you, this was the first time I'd ever driven one of these bikes. So, you know, bikes are a little bit different. They're all, they're incredible, but they're all just a little bit different. So, man, I, I get this bike and I remember we're leaving. So we signed the papers and we're leaving. And she said to me, now this is all pre-kids. We got three now. This is all before kids. And she says to me, are you, are you going to be okay? Now, if there's any, any part of a man inside of me at all, and there sure was, there sure is, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm actually a little bit nervous. But I was a little bit nervous. I was like, babe, I got this. I got this. You know, I grew up on motorcycles. I'm like, help me, Jesus. I ain't never did this before. And I hopped on this bike, and I'm pulling out, and people are flying on the road. And I'm pulling out, and I'm like, God, please help me not to make an idiot of myself, which, which was another prayer I prayed out there. Because on YouTube, a pastor came in once, anyone saw, saw this clip, a pastor came in, he came in his church and he circled around, may have been a student pastor, but he circled around the church, like, and they're doing this, and then he popped the clutch, dude. He popped it, the thing goes up on him and goes into the wall of the church, it wasn't good. So I prayed out there, Lord, please help me not to embarrass myself. And, uh, and so anyways, but man, I drove that bike home and I'm so proud of that bike, man, wash it, wash it, wash it. A couple, couple years ago, probably about six years ago, um, we went up to see my buddy in uh, South Carolina. His son played quarterback yesterday as a friend of ours. He played for uh, Maryland, and uh, Caleb Rowe is his name. And we went up there to see them, and we had a problem because it was raining on the ride. And I, I uh, trailered this because I wanted to go riding with my dad, right? Guys, something about us and our dad. So dad's in Tennessee. We're doing Atlanta, South Carolina, Tennessee, and, and back. And so we, we, we trailered it, and um, it rained, and the bands got a little loose, and it fell over. The problem was, I think I was sleeping. Steph was driving. She just looked at me like, are you really about ready to throw me under the bus? But she was driving, and my motorcycle was laying flat on a trailer, and it was kind of bouncing like a basketball, just a little bit. And these guys pulled up on the other side, and they looked at her like, what are you doing, you know? They look like, like you're an idiot type of thing, you know? Like, if that's a motorcycle, it's not supposed to, it's, you know, anyways, we figure out what happened. It's raining. So we pull over, and I'm, man, I don't understand. I, I put it in tight. I thought I wrapped it all right. So here we go, and you know, the whole thing. We go to South Carolina. It fell over again. We get to South Carolina. I tell my buddy, I tell my buddy about it, and this guy, Dave, is a big, strong guy, and Dave's like, oh, I'll get it. And he ratchets that thing down to where it literally lowers several inches. That bike ain't going anywhere. Would you believe it still fell over? It still fell over and um, scratched my bike up a little bit. I, I told you I like, like my bike. I love my bike. I told you that, right? And I, I, I really keep this in the garage and try to keep it, man. 2001, that's a long time to have a bike. And uh, I just take care of it, man. It's, it's a great bike. I love it, love it, love it. 
Well, man, right here, if you were looking at my bike, you would see where that buckle was. They put it, and it rubbed back and forth. This is so scratched up, it's not even funny. So I get to Tennessee, and I tell my dad what happened. My dad's like, my dad's a great guy. I love him. Dad's like, y'all didn't do it right. <laughs> he's like, ain't supposed to happen that way. No, and I was like, yeah, but Dave, Dave knew how to do it. And he, he's like, I'm telling you, it just wasn't done right. So dad hooks it up, and on the way home, it fell over again. So um, <laughs> y'all don't tell him I told that story on him. But, you know, so then, then there were right down here, man, if you look, it's, oh, man, and I kept it so nice. I mean, from a distance, you look at the bike and think it looks new. But you get up close, and there's some scratches on it. There's some places on the backside of the mirror. There's, oh, man, I, I love this bike. I love this bike even, even after that happened. It's still my bike. It's my first bike. I love my bike. Now you're saying, okay, you've talked 10 minutes about loving your bike. What in the world does that have to do with Jesus? Jesus loves bikes too. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. You may have to convince your wife. But no, seriously, I love my motorcycle, man. I love it. I love it. But I want to tell you something. I love my motorcycle. You have things in your life you love. Things way more important than a motorcycle. We love our families, don't we? Love our wives, love our children. But some of y'all got a home. And man, you put a lot of money into this home, a lot of hard work, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. You saw that home. When you saw it, you're like, that's our home. And we're gonna make it happen. We're gonna make it work. If I gotta get another job or whatever you had to do, we're gonna pray down the interest rate. Whatever you had to do, you're like, that is it. We looked at all these, they ain't it. This one is it, that's our home. For some of you guys, it's a car. Your car is out there, your truck is out there. Some of you, it might have been a surfboard, paddleboard. For some of you guys, it's a pet that you love. And we have no problem talking about those things. We love it. I love football. I love college football. I got to see a little college football yesterday. I love football. I love high school football. I love middle school football. I love to watch the little guys get out there and hit. I love college football. Football is a big passion of mine. I love pro football. I love football. I love Bluebell ice cream. If you know Tim Payne, you know he loves his family, loves his wife. You know that he loves motorcycles. You know he loves Bluebell ice cream. And, and, and you know he loves Tennessee Vols. I, that's my team, man. I, just, I love the Tennessee Vols. Getting to go to a game this next week. Can't wait. I'll be back here on Sunday, so don't you play. I'll be here. I'll be back too. But I love it. Those are some things that I love. Can I tell you something today? I love my church. I love my church. I love my church. And there are a couple reasons why I love my church. And you know, when you say something like that, when you say I love my church, it's all of a sudden, we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, we can, it's okay to love a boat. Nothing wrong with boats, man. God made water. God gave someone the idea for a boat. In fact, I think he had a big boat was the first one. And uh, God loves boats, right? Nothing wrong with that. Hey, no. <laughs> You're not going to believe this, but it's something called rain. I know you haven't seen it yet, but just trust me on it. It's fixing to happen. You got to start building. And boat, and you, you get out, you love the boat, you love this, you love that. You, that's awesome. But, but when we talk about church, I don't know about you, but for some people, it's a little pushback. Like, we shouldn't really be all that excited about church. It, it's almost like it's, it's holy, and holy means that it's it's untouchable. It's this, you know, it's this, shh, we ought to be quiet in church. We ought to, man, I believe we ought to know. We ought to be known as the church of Jesus. We ought to be known for what we're for and not so much about what we're against. And for too stinking long, the church has been known for all the things we're against. 
And when I read my Bible, Jesus didn't play that way. When I read my Bible, I don't see sheets at all in his game book. I I don't see sheets like that. When I read my Bible, I watch Jesus excited about people. Now, you got to understand something. When I say church, we, in American culture, we think buildings. Man, I love Momentum Church. You're going to hear me say that about 100 times. I love Momentum Church. I don't love Momentum Church just because it's growing. I love Momentum Church when God put the vision in my heart to love Momentum Church. I didn't name this church. I'm not that cool. I know some of you don't believe it. No, I'm, I honestly, are we allowed to laugh in church? Yes, I hope you do. I'm not that good. I'm really not. I read in the Bible, and the Bible said sometimes God would speak and tell people what to name their children. That guy's going to be John. We're going to name him John the Baptist. Don't name him that. Now, by the way, his name's Jesus. And this person over here, and he did that. So I, I just said when I knew God wanted us to start a church, I said, God, what do you want the name of this church to be? This is a true story. I'm not fabricating a smidge. I prayed, and I said, God, what do you want the name of the church to be? And God spoke to my heart, and he said, Momentum. Momentum. That's a pretty cool name. I like that. You know why? Because momentum means there's movement going on, right? Anytime something's growing, anytime something is alive, anytime something is healthy, there's some movement going on. Are you with me? I've got a paper up there from 2004 where I was had this brain dump about starting a church one day, but I was so scared. I had so much fear. My dad was a church planner. I just didn't think I could do it, to be honest with you guys. I really didn't. I was afraid. It's like, man, what if it, what if it just doesn't take off? What if it doesn't take off? What, what, if, what if my kids don't want to go there? What if it's like me and three other people? And the truth is, you know, what if? I was scared to death. I, I wrote a name of a church up there. Um, I thought, man, this would be a cool name. The, the name of the church was Emmaus. Emmaus, you know, you remember the story of Jesus appears with the guys walking. It's a great story in the Bible, but I was like, that would be a cool name for a church. Never heard of that name before. And our, our slogan, <laughs> our branding could be, come walk with him. Come walk with him. Some of y'all are being nice and not laughing. Some of y'all are like, <laughs> I did. I had a couple names. I had a couple names. But I prayed and I said, God, what do you want the name of this church to be? And God spoke to my heart. God said momentum. And, and you know what? I love this church for three reasons. Number one, I love this church because everybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome. When we knew that we were moving this church we were moving here to start this church. We didn't know a lot of things. I had way more question marks than answers. We did a little study of the area, and we came from Tampa. Tampa is incredible. It's a melting pot. There, every, everybody lives there in Tampa, right? It's like a mini New York City. And I said, God, I'll be honest with you. I don't want this church to be all white. In fact, I'm, that's, just, that's not all right. I grew up in all white churches. I'm serious. I did. God made us all, didn't he? And there's not one race better than the other race. We're all made in his image. Anyone want to say amen to that? Right? That's a real deal, right? God doesn't look at one skin color and say, no, I should be there. No, 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 no. I said, Lord, man, Gulf Breeze, predominantly white. It's the truth. So, Lord, help us. We want to reach everybody we can. And we started praying, God, send us. And on our staff, God sent Jeremy and Deb. I love it. All the way from Los Angeles. All the way. Love it, man. On staff. I mean, that was a gift from God. And God began doing awesome things to say, you know what, God? We don't just want to be one way. By the way, by the way, God, we're not coming here just for church people. We're coming here for people far from God. We're coming here for people that they don't think God loves them. 
In fact, they think God's angry at them. God hates them because they're, they're that bad. They think the roof would cave in. And God, another thing is, Lord, this church, this is your church. God, we don't just want it to be about a race. We don't want it to be about sex, God. I know what's going on in the world today. There's a whole lot about gay and straight. And I, let me tell you something. I've studied the Bible. I want to tell you something. I love this church because everybody is welcome. If you are straight or if you are gay, I want to say something. You are welcome at Momentum Church. That's the truth. And before that offends some of you that think you're spiritual, I just want to tell you that's how Jesus lived. And this is where it gets like this. Like, oh, don't go that way. I like this church. You're going to make me leave. Well, you probably might want to because I'm, I'm just telling you, we're just Jesus followers. And we're going to remain Jesus followers. Jesus moved to the mess, to Nicodemus. He was a scaredy cat. Religious dude. He came to Jesus at night so no one would see him. Because he didn't want his cover to be blown. Yo, yo, we're going to keep it on the down low. Jesus like, why you, right? Jesus said, come on. Favorite words in the Bible, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. I don't care if you're white, red, yellow, black. I don't care. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Jesus, Jesus goes to Matthew. Matthew has a book of the Bible named after him. Matthew was a tax collector. It wasn't very good to be a tax collector. You didn't love Jesus. You weren't a Jesus follower. And he said, hey, man, Jesus went to him, and Jesus ended up going to his house and eating. And the religious folk, they're the only people who ever had a problem with Jesus. I don't know if you know this. This is true. Listen to me. Unsaved people, if you want to call them that, people that were, had not been reached with the gospel yet, people far from Jesus, people living lifestyles far from the kingdom of God, loved Jesus. And Jesus loved them. Favorite title of all, Jesus, friend of sinners. And I don't know about you, but that touches me right here because I'm a sinner. And he reached down way low and picked me up out of my pit. He forgave all kinds of stuff in my life. And who am I to think I'm better than somebody else? We're all sinners, and sin is sin, and sin's not good. You don't mess with sin. It's fun for a season, Jesus even told us, but boy, it'll leave a bad taste in your mouth. It'll ruin your life. So you say, well, I know what the Bible says about this sin or that sin. Yeah, I do too, and I know what it says about my sin, and I know what it says about your sin, and everybody is welcome in the house. Jesus said, come, 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 come. I don't know if you know this. We've been going through a book of James for a while. And uh, James was the half-brother of Jesus. James didn't even believe in Jesus. Jesus said, yeah, see you, Mom. Love you. I'm going to heal some people. And James like, he's going to heal some people. <laughs> What's he smoking, man? He ain't healing. He don't want to, he's come on. I mean, James just doing it. He didn't believe in Jesus, but Jesus believed in him. And after the resurrection, he appeared. He made sure he appeared to him, showed him his wounds, and all of a sudden, James now believes. My favorite thing is loving on people far from God. Because if I, can, if I can hang around them, and if I can love them to Jesus, they will realize that Jesus loves them, number one. Everybody's welcome. But number two, I love my church because life change is happening here. When you watch this, Jesus will take you just as you are. I grew up just as I am without one plea. But... You know the words, but that your blood, thy blood, if you grew up like I did, 
It was shed for me. And we said, well, I just come. But we don't read the third and the fourth stanzas, or maybe the second and the third as much as we sing the first. But it says, man, that, that yeah, it really is just as we are. And, and some with fears and some with doubts. Some far from him. But we come. And the good news about Jesus is Jesus will accept you where you are. All right, now watch this. But he loves you too much to leave you there. I grew up with anger and bitterness in my heart. Jesus changed me. He changed me. And he didn't say, nope, sorry, Tim. (laughs) Come, come, nope, not you, not you, please, not you. Hey, someone, he didn't do that. He said, come, everybody is welcome here. The religious people, they're welcome here. People that have gone to church, that love Jesus, that are Christians, that are Jesus followers, they're here, and this church doesn't exist to mooch off of other churches and try to steal other, you know, and that's not what we're about. We're here to reach lost people who are far from God, who are hurting, who are helpless, and who are hopeless because we believe that hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. I love my church because everyone's welcome, number one. Number two, life change is happening here. I wish I could tell you story after story after story of life change sitting in this room today. I found a card back from Easter. I put it on Facebook and, and a guy had come, he'd given his life to Jesus. On the back of it, he had checked baptism that he wanted to be baptized. He, on the back, he also said that he had been struggling with drugs and struggling with spice. But because of his God encounter at Momentum, it had been 10 months that he hadn't touched the stuff. Only Jesus, period, hashtag Enough said. That was, a, that was a mouthful. I wasn't sure I was getting all that out right. Are you with me? That's why I love my church. I don't love my church because momentum is cool. I don't love my church because, no, no. I love my church because momentum is about the only name that is above every name. That one day at that name, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. And all honor and glory and wisdom and power belong to him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Jesus That's what we're about. We're not about building our kingdom. We're about building his kingdom. We're about lifting up the only name that is rust proof, the name of Jesus. That's what we're about. It's not about momentum. Momentum's about Jesus, but we do like momentum because momentum's about Jesus. And some people would never, oh, Jesus, no, no, no. But you know what? You have friends and family that they would come with you. Eight out of 10 people say, get this, unchurched people, eight out of 10 people say they don't go to church. And the number one reason why they don't go is because no one that they're close to has asked them. Eight out of 10. And yet if you're like me, sometimes I think, oh, he'll never come. Oh, she'll never come. I'll never get it. I'll never, right? No, no, no. We have all these doubts. Father of lies puts in our minds. But eight out of 10 said, eight out of 10 said they would go. They would give it a shot if someone asked them. You know why people would rather be on a boat than church? Because some of them have been to church. Some of them have been. You know why Easter's huge and then after Easter it goes back down sometimes? It's not just because they're bad people and they're sinners. Sometimes it's because we've fumbled the ball as Jesus followers. And it's time we get up, dust ourselves off, and get after it. Are you with me? I love my church. Everyone's welcome. I love my church number two because life change is happening here. Life change is really, truly 
happening here. I love my church because we're changing, we're loving. We're loving our community and we're changing the world. And that's not just something that's great on the wall. It's actually happening down the hall. This week, we're able to love on high school, on our high school here, on our football players, on home games. We feed them. I want to tell you what, I'm so proud of our leaders and our workers from this church. This was their idea. They cook it. They serve. They get there early. They get up. They have jobs. But we believe that people matter to God, that every person has a name and every name has a story and every story matters to Jesus. And I don't care if you're four, if you're 14, if you're 44, which isn't old, by the way, as I approach the 40s. Um, If you're 64, if you're 94, if you're 104, you might be old. But it doesn't matter because people matter to God. Doesn't matter your age. And so Momentum Church is about, you know what? Let's reach anybody and everybody for Jesus that we can. We're not the only church. We're one local church here. There's other great local churches here that are doing the work of God, that love God, that are not our competitors. We're not in competition with them. We're in celebration and worshiping the same Jesus with them. It's not about us. It truly is about him. But we serve, man. We serve the, the football team. It was awesome watching those guys. I love it. I love serving them, man. Going around. You want some more orange juice? But the cool thing that happened last week, we're in Atlanta. The cool thing that happened to me was getting a phone call from Brian Purcell. And Brian said, hey, man, we've been approached. I want to run this by you real quick. This one in the plan. And, and you know, we, we uh, have a plan in place when it comes to being great stewards of God's money. And he said, what do you think about this? And, and um, we ended up feeding the high school football team from Panama City. So a couple phone calls were made, and they called here, a couple different people, and said, hey, man, do you know anyone that might feed our football players while we're in town? And, anyone, and, and two people said, I bet Momentum will. Ask Momentum. And that's it. Put your hands together. Yay, God. Yay, God. I was hoping you'd do a little bit better than that, be honest with you. I don't know if you heard me, but there was a football team a couple hours away that called and said, could someone serve us? And two people said, you know what? Momentum can. Now listen, this isn't about momentum, but this is about the fact that we truly are being Jesus followers because Jesus was a servant. Jesus was a servant. He said, oh, you want to be great? You want to be great? You want to be first and be last. You want to be great? Then serve people. Love people. It's not about yourself. Don't go around tooting your own horn. Serve people. Move toward the mess. And I want to tell you something. We had the privilege to fund that. We had the privilege to feed them and to love them. And you know what? They may never, they may never even know who did it, but it was a seed planted in love. And when a seed of love is planted, God always makes sure it grows to be like an oak tree. Because love never fails. And that's just why I love my church. I love it. And I want you to love your church. I want you to be proud of your church. We want to be a church worth being proud about in a good kind of way. Not arrogant, not that kind of pride, but saying, you know what? Yeah, I love my motorcycle. Yeah, I love, if you say I love my house or I love my boat or I love my whatever. We love our church because the church is the only thing Jesus died for. Jesus didn't die for denomination. That's a hot point. Jesus never died for a certain political party. 
Jesus didn't say, come, Republicans, come, come. Some of you are wishing they would. Jesus didn't just die for the Democrats. Oh, I'm a Democratic Party. Come, come, come. Jesus said, I'm for everybody. I'm for everybody. I'm for everybody. And we want to be a church known as the church where everyone is welcome because that's how Jesus lived. Hey, Matthew, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Can I hang out with you? Because these religious people are going to talk bad about me, but it's really cool because they're actually going to compliment me and they're going to say that I'm a friend of sinners and nothing makes me more passionate because one day, this passion inside will lead me to a cross. Nothing makes me more passionate than for people to say, yeah, 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 he's a friend of sinners. Move toward the mess. Son, I'd scare you all if I told you that was just the introduction. <laughs> was it? <laughs> That's right. Cannot tell a lie. When I, in 04, in 04, some of y'all praying now, aren't you? Oh, Jesus, help us. It's twelve sixteen. Jesus, help us. You know what I love, man? Honestly, we're having fun. You know what I love, though? I, I love, and there's nothing wrong with this. I'm not criticizing anyone that does it. I get it. I love the fact that we're not 60-minute church. Because I love going to movies. I don't know about y'all. I like going to watch a good movie. And if it's two hours, I'm cool with that. If it's three hours and it's good, I'm cool with that. If it's bad, I feel like I got gypped. If it's three hours and really bad, I might be walking out. Mm-hmm. Next uh, Friday, we'll leave Friday, and we will, several of us, we'll, we'll get in a truck. We'll drive to Knoxville. We'll spend the night. Jimmy, Pastor Jim, is a South Carolina fan. His dad worked there 30 years for the university. And we'll watch Tennessee and South Carolina play, which is really cool. Just thinking about that year or that game a year ago and everything that God did with Marcus. Um, but we'll go, we'll watch the game. It's the 12 o'clock game. We'll get there really early to make sure we get a good parking place. We'll have fun. We will definitely, Lord willing, we will definitely be eating some good barbecue and we will scream our heads off. We will have fun and we will laugh and one of us will be happy and the other won't. Y'all pray for your preacher this week, all right. And then we will get in his dually and we will drive all the way back here because we love our church. We're not missing Sunday because we love our church. Because honestly, as much as I love college football, I'll be honest with you, that's college football. I'm talking about Jesus. I go, to, I go to a concert, man, I'm all over the place. I watch a football game, I'm all over the place. I can't stand still the stuff I'm passionate about. I go to a fight, I'm, I'm, man, I'm, I'm animated. That's who I am, that's how God wired me. And I'm gonna be the same way at church. I'm gonna go all out. I'm gonna leave it all out on the court. Because Jesus is the greatest thing ever happened to me. And Jesus really is the answer. And I want to tell you something. You're not, you may not be a pastor, but you might be way more effective than I am in the fact that I believe the greatest ministry is in the business world. And you're all ministers. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're a dentist, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're a school teacher, if you're a principal, if you're a coach, if you're a nurse, if you're a surgeon, whatever. You do, whatever you do, more importantly is who you are. And who you are, if you know Jesus, is a Jesus follower. And we are called, we are called to reach people for Jesus. And this world, and this city, and this community, and these communities have a ton of people who their homes are hurting, they're broken, marriages falling apart, families falling apart, 
people that are struggling with addictions, with alcohol, and with drugs. They're people that have lost hope because they're addicted to something. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe they have had anxiety and depression for years, and they tried this drug and that drug and this doctor and that psychologist, psychiatrist, and nothing is helping. I want to tell you something. Jesus is the hope of the world. And he is the hope of my world, and I hope to God he's the hope of your world. Because there's never been a person that Jesus can't fix. There's never been a life that Jesus can't raise. There's never been a person that Jesus cannot totally transform. They may have been this way before Jesus, and he will take them just as they are. Everybody's welcome. But through grace, he'll lead them home. And he won't keep them here because he loves them too much. In 04, I wrote 25 things that I loved and hated about the church. Man, I I put on here things like I love authentic worship. I love this. I love that I'm not going to church and we're singing about God and my mind is somewhere else. I'm just saying the words, just going through the motions. I'm not even interested in checking a football score because I'm in the presence of the most high God and there's nothing better than that. I love the fact that these guys are passionate. Our church is different. It was different on purpose. You say, my old church, people didn't jump up and down on stage. That's what was wrong with your old church. (laughs) Jesus made you do all kinds of crazy stuff. The truth is, seriously, the truth is, when you realize how bad you were, how far you'd fallen, how much he loved you, you want to dance too. And you want to go all out in college football, passion you have for that, or motorcycle, or boating, or fishing, or surfing, flipping homes, being greatest, whatever, what you do, that won't be anything in comparison to this love for God. And just like eating garlic, it will come out. And everybody will know it. I wrote in here, man, I was passionate about passionate communication, not just depositing Bible knowledge. Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to know a whole bunch of information. Jesus died on the cross so your life and my life could have transformation, so we could be different. Look at Matthew. Matthew, please. Matthew 16. Mm. Y'all are so awesome. You make it hard on a preacher. Notice the silence. (laughs) They're like, I'm not taking credit for (laughs) Y'all make it hard on to preach, man. I want to keep preaching. Matthew 16, there's a phenomenal story. Peter is just like you and me. He got it wrong a lot. But Peter also got it right some. But Peter is just like you and me. He constantly was putting his foot in his mouth. He's constantly saying what was on his mind. Do any of you do that? Any of you, you just, <laughs> excuse me. And they're like, well, tell me what you really think. Peter was that way. But Peter makes a declaration about Jesus that is life-changing. In fact, Jesus makes a statement about Peter's statement that actually came from the Father God, from Father God into Peter's mind. And Jesus makes a very strong statement. And it changed my life and will continue to change it and it will change yours as well. Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? In other words, who do people think I am? Now, his disciples respond to him, and they say, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. You remember John the Baptist? He was like a mighty preacher, like a preacher warrior. He baptized people, and he drew huge crowds. There was no 
There was no movie theaters. There was no Friday night football games. There was none of that stuff. And so he's doing something. No one else is doing it. The whole town comes out to see what John the Baptist is doing. And some people have confused that Jesus is John the Baptist. But Jesus wasn't John the Baptist. He was John the Baptist's cousin. Others say Elijah. You remember Elijah. James, the book we're going through, we'll talk about Elijah in chapter 5 and say that, that Elijah was just like you and me. But the cool, crazy thing was Elijah had the power of God on him. Elijah prayed, and it wouldn't rain. And he would pray, and it would rain. Elijah called fire down from heaven. I don't know about you guys. I've seen God answer some pretty awesome prayer requests in my life, but I never called fire down from heaven. But Elijah did, and yet in the Bible, the Bible says he was just like you and me. Something about the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, that you and I are just like him. And the power is actually in God. So others said Jeremiah, he's like this weeping prophet. He has such a burden for the people, for people to be reached by God's love. He would cry. He was the weeping, the wailing prophet. He was a, a, a preacher, but he was just so overcome with love for people and God's love for people that he just tore him up. So these are who the people are saying. He says, or one of the other prophets. So then Jesus asked them. I learned a great leadership principle here I wanna share with you. Ask questions and ask great questions. And sometimes answer questions with questions. That's what Jesus did. But now Jesus is gonna ask a better question. And Jesus' better question is, who do you say I am? Simon Peter speaks up. Leaders go first, right? Doesn't mean they're the smartest person in the room. They just step out first. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You're the chosen one. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. The son of the living God. Now watch what happens here. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. In other words, Jesus gives them props. If we can just speak in English today, it's kind of like with my little boys, you know, my sons. I was like, man, give me the knuckles, you know, and we'll fist pound. And my three-year-old's all about blowing it up, man. You know, boom, and get him go. And then he starts doing this wave thing, you know, blow it up. So cute. Jesus kind of gives him some props here because he said, great job, man. Well done, man. You're blessed. But then he says, wait, wait, you can't take credit for that because you and I both know you're not that good. Watch what happens. He says to him, He says, you're blessed, Simon of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. He didn't learn at Sunday school. He didn't learn at church. He didn't learn at Christian school. He didn't learn at vacation Bible school. Look what the Bible says. Now I say that you are, excuse me, you did not learn this from any human human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, all right? Now the Greek word is what this New Testament was written in. The Greek word here means rock. It means like nice size rock, like the speaker. Like rock, it's hard, firm, solid, rock. And he was speaking words of life, which we've been going through James, and James is about speaking words of life, right? The power of the tongue, the wisdom and all that. And so Jesus says, man, you're a rock. Now, if you understand anything about religion, you understand that from this very passage of scripture, um, there were some even denominations started out of this. And what they say and what they claim is that here is when Jesus made Peter um, the dude, he said, man, you're the deal, you're the dude, um, we're going to make the, ch- we're going to put the church on your shoulders, on that rock, Peter, you're the rock, on you, Jesus said, I'm going to piggyback on Peter. Peter's shoulders weren't that big. Peter wasn't that good. That word rock is like rock, 
But notice the Bible, what it says here. Now I say to you that Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock. Now, that second word rock, you need to know this. That second word rock is a different translation of the word rock. In English, we read rock, R-O-C-K, and then rock, R-O-C-K. But when you get in the language that it was written in, it's a different meaning. Peter, you are the rock, but upon the rock, I want you to think Stone Mountain. Let's even think a little bigger than that. Somewhere out in Arizona, right? Grand Canyon. Upon that rock, I will build my church. Here's what Jesus was saying. Upon, like you're a rock, man. I'm proud of you. I see strength in you, Peter. I believe in you. You're a rock. But what you said that the Father revealed to you, you didn't get it. You and I both know you didn't get it by yourself. What God put in your mind, Father God, the statement you said that I was the Messiah, the Son of the living God, upon that rock, that rock, Jesus says the next words, I will build my church. I will build my church. A couple of thoughts and we're out of here. Jesus said, I will. Mark it down. Anytime Jesus says, I will, mark it down, it's going to happen. When God said, it's going to rain, build a boat. No one's seen the boat before. Nobody had. They laughed at him. I, I don't know if you know this or not. I'm really excited to tell you. I didn't know it until a couple weeks ago. But I think March, someone help me out here, March, April, something like that, somewhere around Easter, a new movie is coming out. And is it, is it entitled Noah? Is that what it's entitled, Noah? And uh, some incredible, incredible characters are in there. Anthony Hopkins, is he, did I say his name right? I get that one right. And then uh, the guy from Gladiator, anyone remember him? Gladiator? Russell Crowe? Okay. Don't go dumb on me. You saw the movie, right? Right? Russell Crowe? You see, those guys are in this movie. This movie's going to be incredible. It's going to be incredible about Noah. Yeah. God spoke to him. God comes over here. God speaks to these other people. Whenever God says something's going to happen, mark it down, it will. And Jesus said, I will build my church. Here's what this means for me as a, as a church planner. I don't have to get ulcers about growing this church because it's not my church. It's his church. And I will build, he said, my church. But I want to take a little, I want to not credit, but I want to get a little skin in the game to his church because if Jesus is really about his church, if that's the only thing he died for was the church, that Jesus is the hope of the world and the church are the hands and feet of Jesus, then I want to be identified and passionate about the church. And that's why I can honestly say with no fear, I love my church. I love my church because Jesus Loves his church. He said, you are the Messiah. And he said, boy, I'm gonna build my church on this. Jesus was all about commitment. We did the mud run yesterday and we had a great group. I wanna fly through some pictures real fast. We're talking about commitment. Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus was all in. We know this as athletes, right? Whenever you play a sport, you can't be like, yeah, I'm gonna try. No, 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 you do it. You know, hey, practice starts this time. Be early. Don't get there late. Be early. If you're not five minutes early, you're five minutes late, right? Get there, get early, be committed. Be the first one there. Be the last one to leave. Put some skin in the game. Have a little ownership. Don't be a renter. Be an owner. Get into it. Believe. Give it everything you got. Leave it all out on the field. Jesus had that level of commitment. He said, I will. And we had some people with some commitment. We uh, did the mud run. There's Dean Brandon. We had such a good time. And uh, Ray and Vanessa is a student pastor there and his wife. We had such a good time, man. Um, Stacy and Karen and Dwayne. So proud of those girls I love this picture. Freeze it right here, if you will. I love this picture because, man, we did the mud run. It was for a great thing, Pathways um, for Change, I believe, a great cause. But what I loved is that we did this together. Next year, let's just take like at least 100 people, 
It'd be amazing. We, we ran this thing. We finished together. And it took a level of commitment because there were some hard parts to it. You start cramping a little bit. There's some challenging obstacles. But these guys were committed. And we all, we waited till everyone was there. And then we finished together. And so we were all holding each other's hands up. And then we slid down face first, man. It was awesome. We went down before there's the after picture. Had such a good time because of commitment. When you're a mile and a half in, if you weren't committed, you're ready to tap out. When you came to some of the obstacles, if you weren't committed, uh uh-uh. What I love, man, is people that showed up for that, and they did a kid's one later. They were committed. Those kids were so committed, man. Oh, Cole, Jolly, and Jade ran together, and they were running, man, like, like deer, man. They were flying through that thing. Even kids get commitment. Jesus said, I will build my church. He said, I will Number two, he said he would build. Jesus is the greatest builder. He created the world by the words of his mouth. He said, I will build. In other words, he's competent. You can trust him. There's no greater builder than Jesus. He can build your marriage if you'll trust him. And if you will give your marriage to him, he will build it the right way. Maybe you've done some things. Maybe you, maybe you took some shortcuts and you're paying for it now. Turn the keys over to Jesus. He'll build it to last. He's building his church. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. The Bible says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Here's my job description. Verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people. What's the next part say? So my job, if I'm being a good pastor, is to equip you guys to do whose work? To do his work and to do what? Read it with me. Build up the church, the body of Christ. If you work out, we got a lot of athletic, a lot of driven, a lot of focused, healthy individuals in this room. You get it. You have to take care of your body, right? Maybe, maybe a cheat day, but not every day is a cheat day. God's bod is the church. God's bod is the church. We're his body. Body by God. We're his body. We're his bride. Jesus loves his church. And I've come across so many people that may be hurt, may be angry, may be confused, maybe been lied to, but they say stuff like this. Like, man, I love God. Me and God are cool. We're cool. Love God. Man, I just don't, that, that church, I just don't do the church. That would be like looking at your wife or wife looking at your husband and saying, I love you, honey. I just can't stand your body. Let that one sink in just a little bit. Like, I love my spouse. She's just 200 pounds overweight. I wish someone would come encourage her. Someone would come encourage him. Stop. Put the chips down. Right? We, we wouldn't do that. That would hurt. But sometimes we think incorrectly, like that's stinking thinking, right? That gets you in big trouble. But sometimes people think that way about Jesus. It's almost as if it's Jesus and then the church. And No, no, no. The church is his body. He takes care of his body. It's his bride. So we're either helping him build it or we're in the way. I don't want to be in the way. I want to help him build it. What Jesus builds has incredible value and it's built to last the question is, will we, will we help him build it? Or will we be in the way? 
Lastly, my church, he said, I will build. So I will, commitment, build. He's competent, my church. So there is clarity of ownership. He says it's his church, but he invites us in the game. He invites us in the game. Acts 20, 28 says, so guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. But notice 1 Corinthians 8, 1, and I'm done. Notice this. Now, regarding your question about food that's been offered to idols, like they're having this dispute, they're arguing about, is this okay or not okay? The church has done that too. He said, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about the issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, that's a phrase that pays, it is love that strengthens the church. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples or you're my Jesus followers if you love one another. So we have to love one another. You know, if we would really love one another and if we would really believe that everybody is welcome, that's a powerful truth because the truth is for too long the church didn't want to welcome everybody. You can come, but we cut our hair this way. You can come, but this is how we dress. And by the way, this is not how we dress at church. We don't wear a hat at church. Jesus wore a robe and sandals, just saying. I'd wear a hat to go hunting, right? I'd wear a hat to go fishing. I don't care if you wear a hat to go to church. Do you think God's looking at your outside? That matters to you? You getting all hung up about that? The Bible says God didn't look at the outward appearance. That's what hypocrites do. God looks at the heart. How's your heart? Let's talk about that. That's good preaching right there, right? It got quiet, and there's some tension in the room today. I promise you. You just need to put an object there. But for too long, that's what the church has done. The church has been all about the outside. I normally don't wear a hat to church. I asked my wife today. It's funny. I said, Stephanie, you think I'd wear a hat to church? I'm not throwing her under the bus. I'm just saying, we were raised in church. You didn't do that, man. I'm telling you, three-piece and a tie. Right? That's how, this is what we did. You didn't do that. No, no. You know something? This church is all about being intentional and tearing down the walls. That's why I wore a hat today, because I knew it would bother some of you. <laughs> some people are like, we ain't coming back next Sunday. We'll find a church preach the Bible. I'm just teasing. No, I'm being honest. It's not about us. Jesus didn't die to make us comfortable. He died for us to help reach people. You know what, I'll wear a hat every once in a while. If that makes someone feel a little more comfortable, absolutely. You say, I don't get that, I don't buy into it. Let me tell you something, bud. Let me tell you something. There was a guy sitting right back there several months ago that wore long sleeve shirts. His wife had to get him to come to church. He finally came, but he wore long sleeve shirts because he had tattoos. And he wasn't sure about how the church felt about tattoos. And he came. He didn't get involved. He came, he sat back there. He was, there was distance between us. Our kids went to the same school, went to pick up my son. No, my, yeah, my son. And I was getting ready to go work out. And um, I was wearing a muscle shirt, hoping that muscles would come. <laughs> I just, I'll tell you, I don't think what I see in the mirror is what really is there, but I see this beast of a warrior. My wife's like, them arms ain't that big, buddy. <laughs> they keep me humble. I went in, you quit laughing now, for real. <laughs> and I went in to pick my son up, and there, me and him, someone who had been coming to momentum but was still distanced. 
we, we saw each other, and his tats were showing. And he looked down, and he saw, he saw my tattoo. I got a tattoo. I got a tattoo, and get another one. But he saw this right here. He saw my tattoo. Now, I want to tell you something. I was raised, man. We knew the verse. We knew where to find it in the Old Testament. We forgot the next verse that said that you shouldn't shave. <laughs> no one ever preached on that verse. man's on fire today. I'm telling it like it is. For too long, the church has been screwed up. We wonder why we couldn't reach other people who were screwed up. Because we just love to present truth. We forgot about grace. We give 100% grace and 100% truth. We don't back down from one or over on the other. We give them both. Jesus did. But grace always precedes truth. We always love people. Where are your accusers? I don't know. She's naked, more than likely. Jesus says, I'm not stoning you today. Mercy always trumped the law. Jesus with a woman at the well, and Jesus says, talks to her, he builds a relationship, and then he says, go get your husband. And she went with her husband. She was on like five or six, I think, and... They weren't a husband. He gave her grace and he gave her truth. That's what the church is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be about what we look like on the outside. None of us are perfect. And if you, yes, Lord, and if you think, I'm just tell you something. If we think we're gonna reach a world far from him for just always trying to do everything right and everything that we're right for and everything that we stand for and, and, and if we don't get down and serve people and love people, If we don't do that, we'll never reach them. And Jesus' way works. Jesus loved them and accepted them and embraced them. That's why the whole prodigal son story is in the Bible. So that when you're so far from home and you're so muddy and you're so, the father will still chase you down and embrace you. And he'll never let you go. Lord said to read this. I'm going to read this. We're going to pray. Okay, Galatians 2. I'm going to speed read a little bit. Track with me. Later when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him. This is Paul speaking. These two Jesus followers, two preachers, they got an issue. (laughs) Here's the situation. Earlier before the certain persons had come from James, that is the James we talked about, Peter regularly ate with non-Jews. He ate with the non-Jews. But when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back. And he put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. One of the most beautiful stories is in Acts 15 where the first church has a first business meeting. And people are saying, okay, Jesus is for the Jews. All the Jews are giving their life. They're following him. But now all of a sudden, other people that aren't Jewish are starting to give their life to Jesus. But these guys aren't circumcised. So we just, someone had a stupid idea. Like we think it ought to be a rule that for them to come to Jesus, they should be circumcised. Maybe they were wondering why the church wasn't growing. I'm not sure. But uh, all of a sudden, they're like, let's put this heavy rule on them. 
And James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, no, 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 no. We should not make it hard for people to come to Jesus. And that is still the message today. We shouldn't make it hard for people to come to Jesus. Jesus didn't make it hard. Jesus forgave the very people that hurt him physically the worst. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. He could have cursed them. Literally, he could have said, all right, well, you're going to hell right now. Booyah. He could have done that, but he didn't do that. He had mercy. What was on the inside came out of the outside, and he said, forgive them, because forgiveness is what was in his heart. And all of a sudden, Peter is acting two-faced. He's acting two-faced, and Paul's fixing to call him out on it. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that had been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church, they join in the hypocrisy because people do what people see. That's a great leadership principle right there. People do what people see. Don't just say something. Lead the way. Do it. You, be, you want the culture in your business to be it? You be the culture in your business. You lead the way. You model it. And so here it is. They're getting all caught up in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept along. Barnabas was an encourager. Now all of a sudden the encourager is being a hypocrite. Verse 14, but when I saw that they were not maintaining a steady straight course, according to the message, I spoke up to Peter. Thank God for that courage in front of everybody. We're not supposed to judge the outsiders. Jesus says, people in the church that have given your life to Jesus, we're our brother's keeper. And if I'm not doing right, I hope you love Jesus enough to come beside me and to love me, not to do it in guilt or shame, because that's not in Jesus' name. But to come beside me and say, man, I love you. You're struggling. You okay? Man, let's talk about what happened. Let me help you back up. Let me dust you off. Let me get you on your way. He speaks up and he says, if you a Jew live like a non-Jew, when you're not being observed by the watchdogs from Jerusalem, what right do you have to require the non-Jews to conform to Jewish customs? Just to make a favorable impression on your old Jerusalem buddies, really? We Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. If we could put it in our language today, in other words, we're talking about race. Doesn't matter what race we are. You're not, you're, God doesn't love you. Jesus wasn't white. He was a Jew. Just a hot point right there. Well, sometimes we just see things this way. No, 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 no. No, that's not, that's not the thing. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping. Some of you need to hear that today. Listen to me. I was done preaching. The Holy Spirit said, go there. So that's why I'm there. Just give him the credit for this part or the blame. If you're ready to eat, you better hear these verses. This is for someone in the house today. Someone been, been traveling too long with shackles on. It's time we get them off. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? <laughs> we tried it. And we had the best system of rules the world has ever known. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. The truth is we can't be good enough to get to Jesus. 
You can't be good enough to make Jesus smile. Jesus loves you. Only Jesus got 100. Have some of you noticed that we are not yet perfect? Anyone want to say, I don't know, testimony right here. My husband sent me, he ain't perfect. My wife, oh, he ain't perfect. Anyone notice we're not perfect yet? No great surprise, right? And are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't perfectly virtuous, then Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin. The accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting as a charlatan, and that's not a compliment. What actually took place is this. And this is my story, guys. It's my testimony. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ, life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. Paul is preaching up in this place. And I am no longer driven to impress God because Christ lives in me. Son, some of you need to hear that today. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, and I'm not going back on that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free? In my relationship with God, I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily.